Amen. And what you guys saw was just a tiny clip, just a blip of what God is doing there. And what he has done, I mean, I've been going there now for eight and a half years, right around there, somewhere around there. But we've been on the ground now for about three years, only three years. And I wish I could just take you all there to see what God has established in those three years. It's extraordinary. We have had missionary friends come there, blown away. This one gentleman, good friend of mine who has done missions his whole life, the last 35 years of his life all over the world. He spent years in Russia until he was kicked out. He, he has been all over the world, all over the Middle East, and when he came and saw what we did, he said, how in the world did you do this so fast? Did you build what you have here so fast? And it was an easy answer. God. <laughs> we didn't. We said yes. That's it. It's super simple, guys. Whether it be Nigeria, whether it be here, whether it be somewhere else in the world, whatever it is that God has called you to do in your life, it requires one thing and one thing consistently. Yes. Just yes. You know, he truly does the rest. Wake up every morning. I, I, I remember when I had this epiphany years ago. And this was before I, I knew the Lord would speak to me, before he showed me things in Scripture. This was before all this. I just knew in the Word of God there were things in there that I didn't have. And, and I came to the realization, wait a second, I'm a child of God, and I am entitled to your best. So Lord, what does that mean? What does that require? And all I could come up with was he has to have everything. So I just thought, okay. I woke up every morning and I said, Lord, yes. I don't even know what you're going to ask me today. I don't even know what you're going to tell me to do today. But right now, in faith, I tell you, yes. And what he did, what he opened up to me, I can't even express. He opened his heart. He taught me his heart. He taught me who he was. Not some educational understanding of his character, which is good. I'm not saying that's bad. But just because you know about him doesn't mean you know him. That means that you're waking up in the morning and you're saying yes. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Because in a fallen world, it's going to look all sorts of ways. Because remember, the first thing he does when we say yes is he changes what? Changes us. He changes the paradigms in which we operate every day. He starts to show us hope. 
he starts to show us who we are. There is nothing more powerful. Please get this. There is no, nothing more powerful on this earth than a son of God, a Christian, who knows who they are. Who knows who God has called them to be. That's what Satan's afraid of. Why? Because he's afraid of Jesus. But yet, Jesus died for us to have choice. So project that forward. What does that mean? That means Satan is afraid of the one who says yes to Jesus. Just work through me. Just fill me. My life is yours. My will is yours. My mouth is yours. Do with me what you want. Then all of a sudden, you start to get on the radar of the enemy. That's when the testing starts. That's when you start getting hit. And you start realizing, okay, wait a second. Was was I wrong to say yes? You know, wait a second. God, you're, you're the God of good, and now all I'm getting is bad. Because I'm getting hit over and over and over and over and over again. That's kind of like a Navy SEAL starting into the system of training and saying, what's the 10 mile run? What? I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to go breaking through doors and, and working with a team and seeing what's going on and fighting the enemy and having victory. That's, that's what I signed up for. They said, no, no. You can't go there without being here. You gotta learn that 10 mile run. You gotta learn to sit in that cold water for hours on almost zero sleep for days. Have you ever watched the trainings for the SEALs? What makes them so good? Crazy thing is, I wanted to be one. only person who stopped me was my dad. He was a 20-year Marine. And he said, look, he said, just go to college first. That's all I ask. Just make me this one deal. You'll go to college first, then go sign up for all you want. He was smart. I, I, I made him that deal. I had already been in the recruiter's office many, many times. Because what I looked at was the glory of what it produced. At the time, I didn't understand the cost. I mean, maybe overall. But do you understand the cost of your calling? Do you understand the cost of your individual calling? When you say yes, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to change your paradigms. He's going to help you to realize that in a war, there has to be endurance. To defeat the enemy, there has to be solidity in your resolve, no matter what. That's why it fell down to a simple yes. Because my resolve wasn't conquering the world. 
My resolve wasn't building anything in Nigeria. My resolve was knowing Him. And if that was the path I had to walk to know Him, then give me a cane, I'm walking. And that's what He did. That's what He's doing for each of you. When you say yes, He'll change your paradigms. He'll, he'll start to give you sight where you didn't have sight. And that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. You ready to dig into your Word, to the Word of God? We're going to take off where we were last week, and it's interesting to me. <laughs> See, God knows the end from the beginning, right? I never know what's going to happen. Certainly don't know when it's going to be a series, right? But I think we are in that. What we started last week, we're going to continue today, but it will finish next week. And it's really hard for me not to jump ahead to next week. (laughs) I'm excited for next week. I'm excited for what it means. Oh man, if you guys could just jump in my brain for a minute. What God is about to do on this earth, I know you feel it. I know you know it. Even though you may not know the fine strokes, you know the broad strokes. You see the evidence of what's been happening all over. Get excited. So we are going, we we finished in the book of Zechariah. And we're going to begin again there. Let me pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. Lord, your will be done. Your words be spoken, not mine. I ask for you to open up our eyes and our ears to see what it is that you want us to see. We cannot understand. Stand Scripture without the presence of your Holy Spirit and the filter of your Holy Spirit. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to illuminate Scripture to us so that not only we can see, but that we can understand. Because there's nothing more dangerous than a warrior who knows the terrain. Hmm. The enemy can't deal with it. Nor has he ever. So your will be done this morning. Father, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do this morning, we talked about last week, we talked about this mystery that was opening up, right? The mystery, honestly, and this is, this is where it has to be stepped in, in a place of faith. In a place of, yes, Lord, show me what you want. Because it is so easy to be steeped in tradition, steeped in training from that tradition. To then look at the Word of God, specific areas through a filter of, oh yeah, I know what that means, or I know what that is, without the illumination of the Holy Spirit to really explain the levels of what it means. 
But see, history, when it becomes manifest, is also a proof of that word. I love where we're at today. (laughs) I love the chaos that is going around the world today. Why? Not that I love the chaos. That's not what I mean. But it's proof of what God has said just the last few years. Of what he's shown just the last few years. The truth, the proof of what is happening began to prove things that were said years ago that were not believed, not accepted. And that's where we're at. So we talked about this this mystery where it wasn't just about the Gentiles being grafted in. Because it didn't go from being Israel and, okay, now we're going to set you aside, Israel, and we're going to go to the Gentile nations and give them their shot. No. What happened? You have Israel here. You have Gentile nations here. They were grafted in. They weren't grafted separately. They were grafted in. They were grafted into the promise. And we went through some of this last week. Literally, the mystery being fulfilled in the seventh trumpet is what? It's the coming of the kingdom of God to be made manifest here. We saw that in Revelation last week. Again, if if you missed that, go back and listen to it. It's critical. Revelation eleven fifteen to 18 said the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God. Whew. What a day that will be, right? That doesn't happen in heaven, guys. It's right here. This is the place we call earth. That's <laughs> what God calls earth. It's where his kingdom becomes this kingdom on where? Earth. Not in heaven. It's the merging of the two. This grand mystery. Then I I mentioned a few things in Zechariah, but I want to begin in chapter 2. And I am going to do my best to move through some of this. But it's important to understand this battle, this war that we're in. I said it last week. Everything is done in the Spirit first. Wars are waged and wars are won in the Spirit first. How was Eve deceived? It's because he had already been working on her spirit. And we won't go to Genesis 3, but there's indication of that as he's speaking with her. Right? Wars are won in the Spirit first. So years ago, the Lord told me, the book of Zechariah is really a blueprint for the rest of history. And I've told you that before. And, and i got to tell you, when the Lord first told me that, and this is why the Holy Spirit is important in the illumination of Scripture. When He first told me that, I'd go to Zechariah and I'd just read through and I'm like, What? What in the world does that mean? What in the world? Okay, wait a second. In in chapter 3, you got got Joshua getting 
access to your courts and and then here you got this and here you got that chapter eight you got oh the world is a great place and then all of a sudden it goes bad again what i'm i'm comparing it to my intellect to what i had learned in bible school what i learned in in from mentors over the last 35 years and it just wasn't computing but yet the lord said it so i said okay lord start to show me Start to show me. And he began systematically to show me. Even today, reveals things to me about the book of Zechariah that I didn't make the connection of. So in chapter 2, first of all, chapter 1 is a cry out. A cry out of the atrocities going on. A cry out to the Creator God. That they need help. And I love chapter 2. We're not going to go through the whole chapter. But, but God starts to give a vision of what he will do. Right? He says in there about, you know, in, in verse 5, I will be to her, talking about Jerusalem in this. Remember the vision. Everything in the Old Testament is a vision through the eyes of Israel. And and you can either get stuck on that point or you can understand that it means so much more than Israel. Just recognize it's through Israel's eyes. Now, you can also fall back on the, the fact that we were grafted in. Into what? Into God's children. We were grafted into Israel. Does that mean we're all Jewish? No. But in a way it does. In a way it does. Because we're adopted children. Okay, wait a second. Yeah, but adopted. You know, that that doesn't really mean like blood children. I mean, does does that carry the same weight? Did for the 12 tribes of Israel. Where one of the tribes was broken in half, effectively. Why? Because they were adopted children of Abraham. They were Joseph's children. They weren't Abraham's children, but yet he adopted them as children, and they became part of the twelve tribes. Jesus said that our inheritance is the same. It's him. See, Jesus knows who the prize is. The inheritance wasn't about land or wasn't just about land. The inheritance wasn't just about sustenance or power or anything else. What was the real prize? It was Him. What do you lack as a Christian that a Messianic Jew has? Nothing. Nothing. We were grafted into a family. So we're part of that family. So don't look at especially Old Testament things or any of the minor or major prophets. Don't look at them and say, yeah, that doesn't really apply to us. Well, I'm here to tell you that mystery of the bride was not given in the Old Testament. And I would venture to say to you, God knows the end from the beginning, right? He knew what Israel was going to do, right? 
So very much the Old Testament is for the bride today. In fact, the layout of Zechariah is that very thing. Because you read Zechariah, I think has 14 chapters. It's 14 or 15, I can't remember. But you notice there's this build up to chapter 8. Where chapter 8 is this harmony all across the globe. Where literally the remnant of God rule. Chapter 8. It's only halfway through. And then go and read chapter 9 through 14. And you say, and you see that it all happened again. Wait a second. Although there are nuanced differences in the second half. That's what the Lord started to show me when he started to open up my eyes toward this mystery. Go down to verse 11. The Lord is declaring what it will be in his time of his bride. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day. (coughs) And shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land. And will again choose Jerusalem. Well, wait, that's talking about Israel. Where do you think Israel sits in this mystery? Where do you think? Do you think that there are going to be Messianic Jews? Do you think that there will be millions upon millions of people in Israel that will recognize Jesus as Messiah? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are millions of Jews now. In fact, I'm pretty sure that Netanyahu, I think, touts Christianity. You know, I'm not positive of that, but anybody? Everybody's looking at me like they're blank. Anyways, point is, Yes, they will. They will see it. Why? Because we were told as Christians that they're our brothers. That they are to be upheld as a nation. Why? Because we'll be blessed by it. That's going to happen in the mystery. That's going to happen even now. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Don't confuse this with the thousand year reign. Because Jesus will come physically. He will take the throne of David physically in Jerusalem. He will conquer Satan. Or the Satan. He'll conquer all of the Satans. Right? That isn't what this is talking about here. You have to go back to Genesis in the very beginning. What did God do in the very beginning? What was His mandate in the very beginning? It was to be His children. It was to go out and subdue the earth under Him. To give Him the worship. Immediately that failed. Immediately. That was given away by Adam. Immediately. 
So do you think God sitting back was like, oh, man, I didn't think that'd go that fast. Okay, plan B. You think you really think God had a plan B? No. No, God knew. God knew when he gave us choice. God knew ahead of time what would happen. We're operating in God's plan A. And he will fulfill his original mandate for his children to subdue this earth. That's the mystery. That's what we see in chapter 2 there. So this happening, as I said, every battle is a spiritual battle before it's a physical battle. Oftentimes, the battle never even happens physically because it's defeated spiritually. We see that so many ways. So many ways. I mean, I mean, Rich even sent me something this morning about Jehoshaphat, right? Where they were being surrounded by three nations and he's like, what in the world? What, what do we do, Lord? The Lord said, trust me. They worshipped, they trusted, they went out for battle and they didn't even have to swing a sword. Why? Because in that worship, it was already won. It was won in the Spirit. It was won in the Spirit. So we have been working for centuries without knowing how to fight in the Spirit. We can fight battles, but see, there are battles and there is the battle. The battle is literally what he says in Psalm 82, where he will take back the nations. That hasn't happened yet, guys. I mean, just look around. You, you can see that. And by the way, this idea of things happening in a single day, let, let's... Uh, it, it said it at the end of chapter 2 there, where it said in a single day, and then it says it toward the end of chapter 3. Understand all these things have not happened yet. Bible scholars will go back and say, well, no, that was when Jesus died on the cross. No, that's when he paid for it. If you think it manifests then, then you are seriously living in la-la land. Just look around. You know it's not manifest. You know the bride is not in control. Heck, we can't even seem to get a conservative in control, let alone the bride. Right? So you know the war is really going on. So what day is he talking about? It's a day still yet to come. It's a day that Jesus paid for. He did his portion Mankind, his children, have to lift up their own portion. Which that portion is saying, yes. Whatever you want. I willfully and joyfully choose you, God, to do through me whatever you want. Not what I want, whatever you want. See, that's my portion. And then he starts to do that. Well, I want to encourage you. Because some of this has already started. I talked about it a little, little bit last week. But chapter 3 is significant. And by the way, let me preface this by saying, you can believe it or not. It's up to you. 
It's not my job to get you to believe anything. It's just my job to tell you. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan. By the way, let me say something about that. I know I've said it a few times before, but... When it says Satan in the Word of God, it is not talking about a proper name. There is not... The definite article would be like saying here, the Satan. Okay, if it was talking about Greg, you wouldn't say the Greg. Now, maybe you'd say the Donald. Okay, but that's a little messed up, right? Okay, you wouldn't say, hey, the Greg. Hey, you know, our pastor, yeah, the Greg. I'm not the only Greg. There's lots of Gregs. I'm not the Greg. I'm just Greg, right? So when it talks about Satan here, it is talking about the Satan, Okay, it's not a proper name. All the times that you see Satan in the Word of God, except for two, do not have that definite article. So it's talking about a grouping, a philosophy. It's talking about uh, the enemy. Okay? The enemy has a leader, however, and that leader is is Lucifer. That leader is what we refer to as Satan. And in the New Testament, you see that same reference, referring to the leader as Satan. You see it in Revelation chapter 12. All right? So I just want you to understand that this war that it's talking about is not just against Lucifer. It's against all, it's against all his followers. It's against the third of the angels that he swept with him in that rebellion. It is the Nephilim that were born unto his seed that then became demonic. It's even about those humans who have the right of choice that choose him. All of that is represented in the Satan. You understand So he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right to accuse him. I found this on the web. No, thank you. We, We don't need you, Siri. Standing at his right hand to accuse him, and the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. It is not this a brand plucked from the fire? In other words, what it's saying there is, is this not one that I have set aside to do my will, to do my bidding? You will not corrupt this one. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And by the way, Joshua was a real person. He was the high priest at this time. This was during the, uh, the slavery when, when Babylon had taken them. And this was when Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, all of this. And they had been there, I think this is pretty close to the 70-year mark, um, when they start to come back. They, they started to rebuild the temple first, okay, which was under Zerubbabel. And then after that, they started to rebuild Jerusalem. So it's during that time 
Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. Boy, that's reminiscent of the cross, isn't it? Jesus took our iniquity on him. Right? And he said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Bottom line you need to understand here is chapter 3 opens up with court scene. Right? You have an adversary, a prosecutor, if you will. You have the defense, who is Jesus. This is before he came to this earth. But he's the one who said, no, this is one that has been a brand who has been plucked from the fire. And he was made clean, just as we are made clean in our trust of who the Messiah is. Verse 6, And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Remember the court scene that he's in, okay? I, I, you got to get this picture. He is in the court of heaven. He is standing before the throne of God who is the judge. He has his advocate, Jesus Christ, as his lawyer. He has his prosecutor. I don't know if it was Lucifer. I would imagine it probably was, but it was one from the satanic realm who was saying, well, yeah, what about him? He's a sinner. God set it aside. So recognize what's going on. He is in the spirit. This isn't a dream. This is really happening. This is happening in the spirit. And then an angel of the Lord speaks to Joshua and he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, And keep my charge. Then you shall rule my house. And have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Okay, that's huge, guys. Get that. Get that. What court was he in? He was in the court that applies to all nations. He was being accused as a nation. And he said, I've chosen you as a representative. That if you do my bidding, if you do my will, if you seek me with your whole heart, then you will have access to all those who are here. Who was there? Look at it. The angels. He was in a heavenly court. He had asked, he, he was given as long as he would walk in the purity of his calling, he had access to that court. Says that you will manage my house. You will manage this court. Man. Okay, wait a second. Here, that, that's like saying here, imagine if somebody came to you and said, 
Okay, because you follow the Lord, as long as you follow the Lord, as long as you seek Him in everything that you do, I will give you carte blanche of the Supreme Court of the United States. You can take any case on that you want to take. You could do anything that is within my will. Not mine. I'm saying God, imagine God saying this. Okay, what, what could you do if you were in charge of the Supreme Court? Well, hello. Yeah. How about a lot? How about you could wage a war that can't be waged any other way? I want you to picture this in the spirit. A war that needed to be waged. And there was no other way to wage that war except fighting in the spirit so that it can become manifest here on earth. Are you following me? So that has to come first. Then something really special is said. Verse 8. Hear now, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. And that word there means in the Hebrew a sign of something to come. It was a sign of something to come. And he says, Behold, answering what that sign would look like, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes. By the way, I'm not going to dive into it right now, but those seven eyes represent the seven places in the world that the principalities were taken to to control, if you will, the zones, if you will, from the Tower of Babel. We won't dive down that right now. I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will, will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Okay, most theologians have always said that that branch is Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard a single one say that it's not. But it's not. It can't be. Why? We look a little further down where it says, I will remove the iniquity of this land. And this is why people think it was Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. What did Jesus do on the cross? He paid for everything to be made right. But he didn't make it right, did he? We've talked about this before. That is the mystery. He's missing a partner. He's missing a partner who worships him, who says yes to him, to move forward in his will. Who is that partner? It's supposed to be the bride. His partner is the bride. That hadn't happened yet. Still hasn't happened yet. And you can't say that the iniquity of the land has been removed in a single day. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, 
why then would creation still be groaning? It's groaning because this isn't talking about Jesus. This is talking about what he wanted to do and wants to do in his bride. He said, it's for another time. In that, in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Has that happened? Did that happen the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins? Did that happen the day that he rose again? No, in fact, what happened is it turned into turmoil. Why? Because Jesus drew the battle line. He drew it. Satan had no idea if he did, he wouldn't have killed him. But he made the payment in full. The payment for what? For our freedom. For us to be able to step into that SEAL training, knowing the end from the beginning. Knowing that I'm on this 10 mile run because it's going to prepare me to run on the battlefield. That's what he paid for. He paid for his kingdom to be here manifest for those who are too weak to go after it themselves. That's why there's just a remnant. See, you're not responsible for just yourself. When you have faith, you're responsible for all that faith will contain. You are your brother's keeper. The bride is supposed to be the world's keeper. Why? Because it was given to them to subdue in the first place when Adam gave it away. Jesus already did his part. He wants to do through the bride. I want to say here, this happened. Now, first of all, if you, if you study Zechariah and you see things that happened at the time, you go back in history and you study history, you realize, okay, that didn't happen. Like Joshua, he was the high priest. He never became ruler. He never became king. And in fact, he and Zerubbabel never became like tied together like one. There, there were actually a lot of issues. In fact, when the second temple was built, the Shekinah glory never even fell on it. The glory of the, the Holy Spirit never even fell on it. That's, that's pretty huge. So if this is all about the second temple being built, then something's wrong. Who are we? Who are we in Christ? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? That's who the bride is. We're the temple. I'm here to tell you that this was a prophecy of a day to come. But that day did come. That day came September of 2019 when that court was opened. I don't know all the details of that. I don't know all the details of everything that goes on in the world and, and the, the panoramic view that God has over it. 
And I don't need to. I could just tell you our story. In September of 2019, we went before the Lord because he said, you need to come to court. We had no idea. We, we just thought it was court of accusations, the one that we've dealt with all the time. You deal with every day that you go before the Lord and ask forgiveness, you're in the court of accusations. But this was a different court. This was a different court. When we went in, all of a sudden, we were in different roles. We were no longer the defendants in this courtroom. Boy, that took a little bit to get my head wrapped around. We were the prosecution side. Wow, okay, Lord. And, and remember, this is all the Lord doing this before I understood any of this in Zechariah. And so we're doing this, and, and we come before the Lord, and all of a sudden, He shows us this new court, and He begins to tell us what this is. Since then, it was, and for lack of a better term, we just call it the court of nations. I don't know if that's what God calls it. That's what we call it. But it is where every nation of the world is represented in that court. And there are court cases brought before there, not that we choose, but that God tells us to do. The very first thing he did was had us go in there and we took to court specific spirits here in America. Turned out there were seven. At the time, we didn't even know this. Right? We're kind of learning on the go as the Lord's just leading us. There are seven spirits and an overall principality for each region, each zone. The Lord took us through all seven zones. That's when I told you that the head has been cut off. That's what I was talking about. The head principality of each zone and the seven that are under them in each zone was cut off, was sent to the abyss. So you can imagine if all the generals in the American military were taken out, what that would do to the army. It'd turn it into chaos. It'd turn communication into chaos. It no longer would be cohesive like it was when it had the leadership. That's what's been going on. We've had 51 court cases in the Court of Nations since September of 2019. 51. And, and by the way, if anybody's interested, let me know. I'll share them with you. 51 of what the Lord started to dismantle in the Spirit. Why? Because the, the war had to be waged in the Spirit first. Authority is given in the Spirit. See, we don't have authority in this world. I can't walk down to the White House and say, yeah, get out. We've got a couple of people that are going to be moving in. It's time to get out. Your lease is over. Can't do that. Why? Because that authority is built in the Spirit first. And it's built over warfare. 
It's built over pain. It's built over battle. And that's exactly what he's done in this, these 51 court cases. So let's go to chapter 4, and I am going to really try and hurry here. Sorry. too slow and the angel who talked with me again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep he said to me what do you see i said i see and behold a a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it and there are two olive trees by it one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, I want you to understand it's easy to read that and not understand what in the heck that just said. But see, before I understood this, we were taken to the court. And in the court, there are these things. In the court, there are two messengers that, for lack of a better term, they are the, the muscle in the court. I don't know. They're, they're angels. They're not people. They're angels. They're archangels. And so what it's talking about here, when he says, don't you know what this is? And he said, no. Why Why did God put it this way? Because it wasn't for this time. He said it earlier. It's for a time to come. It'll start to be pieced together when it starts to unfold. Which is what it's been doing the last few years. And his response was, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Why is he saying this to Zerubbabel? Because he was the one who was tasked to rebuild the temple. Now again, don't get locked in on the history of what was going on then. It couldn't have been that about that temple because the Shekinah glory never even fell on that temple like it was on the first temple, never was there, or like it was in the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit never fell on the second temple. Never did. So it's not what God is talking about here. What's he talking about? He's talking about the real temple. The temple that was there long before anything else. And that was the relationship that he had with Adam and Eve. That was his temple. Sharing that relationship with them, walking in the cool of the day with them, that was what was important to God. And what he's saying here in a foreshadowing is, don't, he he says here, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord. If you go to Revelation chapter 3, The letter to the church of Philadelphia, it says, yes, but you have but little power. Man, look around. I mean, the remnant, certainly us and the remnant all over the world, we just have no power. 
I mean, seriously, we can't even get people to watch us on YouTube. Although I could get shut off of YouTube. That's kind of awesome. But we can't get people to watch it. Why? Because we have no power. Lord's saying it's not about your power. Not by might. Not by power. But by the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, all of these things have been changing. And go down to verse 10. For whosoever is despised the day of small beginning shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. In other words, he says, prophetically, when you see these things happen in chapter 3, when you see these things open in the court, prophetically, don't despise these days of small beginnings. Don't worry about those days. Don't look and see we're just but a few people. Because with a few people, God will change the world. doesn't take a lot. Never has. Never will. But it takes commitment. In fact, if we look at Revelation 12.10, what's it take? The testimony of who we are with Jesus Christ. By the word of our power, right? That's how he was overcome. That we don't care about our lives even unto death. Okay, that's a tough one right there. Because that's full commitment, guys. That's full commitment. When you sign up to go through SEAL training, you sign up with the recognition that it may end in your death. Maybe not in the training, maybe in the training, but maybe on the battlefield. I'm sure there is not a person going into SEAL training thinking, yeah, I'm going to do this for eight years and then I'm going to become you know, a mercenary and I'll make 200000 a year and then I'm going to retire and then I'm going to watch football on Sundays, you know, and I got this long plan set aside in my IRA. No. (laughs) They're just like, if I have to die for my country, I will. That's what I'm offering. I'm offering my death because it's through that not being important, I can accomplish what needs to be accomplished on the battlefield. It's no different for us. It's no different for those who will overcome the Satan. None. No different. You can't care about your life because you have to have the faith that God has got that where He needs it to be. So He said, don't despise those days of small beginnings. And then he does explain the seven eyes. He says, these, are, these seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the whole earth. I love it. It's where he keeps his eye on things. Don't ask me why he picked seven places. Don't ask me why he picked seven regions. I don't know. When the Lord first spoke to me, spoke audibly, he said, I'm sending you to seven places didn't know what that meant okay cool 
whatever you want. I had no idea at the time that meant the world. I, I thought it meant, well, seven small places in the world. No, guys. He's called the bride to take the world. Not just take Newark here or Elkton, but to take the United States, to take Canada, to take Central America, South America, to take all the rest, not to leave anything for the enemy. Nothing. Now, we're at the beginning of this army rising up. So right now is the hardest it will ever be to believe. It's the hardest. And I got to tell you, it is hard. But I can tell you that the Lord, if, if you say yes, the Lord will show you individually. You won't have to rely on people telling you something. Because his relationship is personal. The same spirit in me is the spirit in you. He can speak to you like he speaks to me. And he will do that. Why? Because this remnant is supposed to grow. This remnant is supposed to grow. In fact, it is supposed to overtake the world. And I will stop here, even though I wanted to get through chapter 5. But that's okay. I am going to start stop here and we'll pick it up next week. I, I know. I, next week I will try to talk faster. But then again, you're also there for lunch, so we'll let you eat and I'll just keep talking. <laughs> because what he's doing now, you got to know this. Every time we go to Nigeria, every time he has sent me now to five, five of the zones. All over the world, I've been to five. Everywhere I go, he has me declare something very specific. And how crazy was it that then I learned it was in the book of Zechariah, which we'll go through because that's chapter five. But he's doing it. He's doing it. Don't look around and think we have no voice, we're tiny. Do you know in the spirit, our voice booms? Because it's a conduit for the Lord. He's the one speaking through it. All glory goes to him. But it will manifest. It will manifest. In fact, the Lord keeps saying, you ready? I think I, I asked that a few weeks ago. Lord asked me, as you through me, are you really ready for this? Are you ready to come here on a Sunday morning and not leave until Wednesday? You ready for that? It's coming. It's coming. It's kind of like, hey, why don't you go home and take a break and, you know, come back in, in another day or two because we need you back. But let me, let me tell you something, it's just a little secret. This revival... And, I, and I'm only going to speak from the perspective of ignition, okay, from the perspective of us. This revival is going to be different than any in the past. Will something happen here? Absolutely. Will it become overwhelming here? Absolutely. 
Will, will we be in a different building because we have to open these three doors just so people can see? Absolutely. Will it stay here? Absolutely not. God will continue to grow what he grows here. But when I said, are you ready? It's because most of the people here will be sent out sent out to other churches literally to become pyromaniacs you ready to go start fires everywhere god has shown me visions of these he's shown me visions of showing up at a church that i wasn't invited to pastor wasn't real happy with me being there And the Lord told me to go take the stage. And I took the stage and the pastor started to yell and he froze like he was stone. And I told the group there what was being offered to them. And that's where it gets hazy. Because God never forces a choice. But I can tell you there will be people that choose to follow him and to believe. That's the revival. There will be some that don't. I don't know when it plays out, but that's the lukewarm. And whatever it means, that they will be spit out. I won't read into that. But I'm telling you, It will not just stay here. It will go throughout the world. And everywhere we go that a fire starts, it will spread. It will spread there and go. That's why we got to go somewhere else. I know it's a very different paradigm of ministry. Because the paradigm of ministry is, hey, let's build it up here we just get a bigger building every time we grow and now all of a sudden you know our building is the size of newark you know come on in world well you know what that doesn't do a whole lot for the people at the idp camps i'll tell you what i can't wait to start a fire at the idp camp can't wait because See, along with that fire comes his healing, comes deliverance, comes a defeat of the enemy. One of the greatest tools of the enemy is deception. That's why we sit so often skeptical about what God wants to do. Even though we read it in his word, we're skeptical. Why? Because the enemy has brought deception to us that we agreed with. So that's it. That's it. That deception being broken will light fires that the enemy cannot touch. In fact, he's going to run. I don't think deliverance is going to be very difficult. Why? Because they're going to want to get out. 
they're going to want to get out. Was the legion hard for Jesus to get out of, of the maniac? No. I mean, the longest part was him negotiating with them. Well, let us go into blah, blah, blah. By the way, you ever wonder why he didn't just cast them to the abyss? Because it wasn't time. It wasn't time yet. I could tell you it's time. It's time. Because we've seen it in the courts. The father has brought down his gavel on each of them being sent to the abyss. It's time. And if, if, you, if you wonder, well, wait a second, they've got to be here for the tribulation and everything else. The world will be cleared. Get this. And I know I'm running late. Sorry. I just need a gag, you know, duct tape or something. <laughs> the world will be rid of all of these demonic spirits. We'll go over that next week. It w- I mean, think about that. Think about a world rid of demonic spirits. Not rid of choice. Okay, what's that going to look like? The thousand-year reign? That's what it'll look like. If you really understand the thousand-year reign, what Jesus is going to do with Israel, He is doing first with His bride, literally the way that He intended to do it from the beginning. What's the major difference in that? Relationship with Him was intended to be natural. Look at the thousand-year reign. Relationship comes through sacrifice, just like it was before, but with Jesus physically present. This world will look like a different place. We'll still have choice, just like Adam had choice to sin before there was sin. We'll still have choice. It will be ruled by his children. And deception will be bound. Only to be released again, you see in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. They will be released again. And I'm not going to go down that road right now. We'll be here for hours. But that is coming. But for them to come from the abyss, wouldn't it make sense that they have to be sent to the abyss first? Because they're not in the abyss now, or they they weren't before they were being sent. Yeah, they're all going to be sent to the abyss. That's why they're afraid, because they're starting to learn this fact. At least in the upper echelons of their leadership that are now gone. So let's pray. Father... We worship you, we praise you, we love you. Lord, oh Lord, I just need time to slow down sometimes. There's so much that you want to reveal. I I pray, Lord, that these people will go and dive into this on their own. Praying for your Holy Spirit to just reveal. So they can know their part in history. Their part in this battle. That maybe they have not seen yet. But that is coming. 
And Lord, there are events coming that will change the world. I say yes. Lord, do your will in these events. We're eager. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.